What does the Bible say about exclusivity? Do I have to believe in Jesus exclusively? Or is it okay to believe that there are other ways to God? It's the cross-culture Q&A question. Pastor Clay's answer right after this week's Crosswalk. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. That's all they're interested in at Walmart, but it doesn't stop you from going there. That's all they're interested in at Kroger or or Food Lion or any other grocery store, but it doesn't stop you from going there. Ask enough people who don't attend church why they don't attend, and sooner or later you'll hear somebody say, All they ever talk about at church is money. Talking about people and their money can be a touchy subject, but does that mean a church should never talk about money? A pastor can talk about how you ought to study God's Word. He can talk about how you ought to treat your family and the type of husband that you can be. A pastor can even talk to you about uh, what kind of language ought to come out of your mouth. Uh, the one thing that it seems a pastor can't talk to you about is your money. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. We're in the middle of a series designed to help us become more fully devoted followers of Jesus. As we've learned over the last few weeks, that requires building spiritual disciplines into our life. We've already looked at disciplines such as prayer, fasting, and the study of God's Word. But today, Pastor Clay is taking on the spiritual discipline of giving. It seems that most people don't like it when a pastor begins to talk about money, but would it surprise you to know that the Bible talks about money quite a bit? Jesus talked about money more than any other single subject other than the kingdom of God. 11 out of 39 of the parables deal in some shape, fashion, or form with money. One out of every seven verses in the book of Luke deals in some way with money. Obviously, money is an important part of our lives, and knowing what God expects us to do with it is important if we're going to continue to move forward in our desire to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Clay with this week's Crosswalk. People don't know whether to laugh or to cry when the church begins to talk about giving, and uh, usually they end up doing a little bit of both. It's interesting. It seems that the pastor can uh, talk about um, how you ought to spend your time. He can uh, talk about how you ought to uh, pray. A, a pastor can talk about how you ought to study God's Word. He can, he can uh, talk about how you ought to uh, treat your family and, and the type of husband that uh, you can be. A pastor can, uh, can talk about uh, your responsibilities uh, before God. He can talk about service and the things that you ought to be uh, doing uh, for the kingdom of God. The pastor can talk about sex and marital relationships and gender roles and, and, and how you treat your neighbor. And the pastor can even talk to you about uh, what kind of language ought to come out of your mouth. Uh, the one thing that it seems a pastor can't talk to you about is your money. And what you ought to do with it. We've all heard it. At one time or another. That's all they're interested in down there at that church is my money. That's why I don't go. I want to say a couple of things in response to that. First. That's all they're interested in at Walmart. But it doesn't stop you from going there. That's all they're interested in at Kroger or or Food Lion. Or any other grocery store. But it doesn't stop you from, from going there. I mean, do you really think they just want you to look at their produce? 
After we get done today, why don't you uh, try going down to Applebee's and, uh, and tell them, no, listen, I don't really want anything. Uh, I don't want to order anything. I just heard this is a great place in the neighborhood, and I, I just wanted to hang out uh, for a while. Now, listen, I, I am not. I am not saying that we don't want you to come to church if you don't give your money. I am not saying that at all. What I am saying is that there are lots of places that are only interested in your money, but it doesn't seem to bother people. The other thing that I would say in response to the accusation that the church is only interested in your money is that it's not true. It's not true that the church is only interested in your money. If you've hung around cross-culture for a while, you know how very little we actually talk about money around here. We don't even pass offering plates. How weird is that? We have two, two offering boxes at either sides of the entrance and exits to the room so that, that people can, can give back to the Lord without feeling guilted into it or without feeling pressured into it. We don't even have them labeled offering boxes. I've had some people tell me, you really ought to label those offering boxes because some people have asked us, where do I give my offerings? And maybe we should, I don't know, but... So if you happen to be a guest here today or if you happen to be new to cross-culture, we really don't talk about money or giving a lot. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't ever talk about giving, biblical giving. The Bible talks about money a lot. Surprisingly, a lot. According to uh, wikianswers.com, Jesus talked about money and and used his illustrations or whatever else. Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. Jesus talked about money more than any other single subject other than the kingdom of God. 11 out of 39 of the parables deal in some shape, fashion, or form with money. I I didn't check this. I didn't verify this. But according to Wiki Answers... One out of every seven verses in the book of Luke deals in some way with money. Now, I was thinking about that. Just, just imagine if Luke dealt with, with sex that much. Well, all we'd have to do to become a megachurch is just announce that we're going to do a series in the book of Luke. You wouldn't even have to invite your neighbors to come. They'd be ringing your doorbell. They'd be not, now, now, brother, sister, don't. Uh, don't, be, don't let me miss that series in the book of Luke. You know, be sure and let me know when that one's coming up. Men, <laughs> us men, would suddenly become the spiritual leaders in our home that we've been always meant to be. Now hurry up, honey, we don't want to be late. Pastor's in Luke today. Right? Well, it's, uh, come on, dear, it's time for our, time for our evening devotions tonight. Uh, let's see, hmm, I think we'll be in the book of Luke tonight. Why does God seem to bring up this subject of money so often? Could it be, just speculating here, but could it be that God knows what you and I are often so slow to recognize? And that is that the things that we hold on to the tightest are the things that have the tightest hold on us. God has expectations on our life. Is that a fair statement to make? And if that is true... Why would it be surprising to us that he would have some expectations about our money and about what we do with it and about the idea of biblical giving? Why would that be a surprise to us? Biblical giving 
is a discipline that should be built into the life of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I don't apologize for making that statement because, first off, it's biblical. We're going to look at some scriptures in a few moments. But second, because it is the, it is the burning passion of my life to help you be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Some of you, no doubt, already practice the biblical principle of giving. Some of you have heard me say before, I, I don't know what anybody in this church gives other than Cindy and, and myself. I know what we give, but other than that, I don't, I don't look at giving records. I just don't. They say there are pastors that do. I don't. I don't look at giving records. Uh, there is expectations. Anyone who serves as an elder of this church, anyone that serves on the staff of the church, there are expectations. But, but, but I, I don't, I know what we give. And now you might be saying, well, yeah, well, he just, he just wants more money for the church. Sure I do. And I'll share why with you in a few moments. But if you think that, you know, maybe if you've not been around here or whatever, you don't know, if, if you think that the, that, the, that the primary motivation of my heart and life today in talking to you about giving is that I want more money for cross-culture church, then you don't really know me at all. God has expectations in our life, and those include disciplines that need to be built into our life. And one of those disciplines happens to be the discipline of biblical giving. By the way, you may have noticed that I've said this several times, the idea of biblical giving. The reason I say that is because there sometimes is a difference between our idea of giving and God's idea of giving. I want to make fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's what this series is about. And so this is another step in that process. Today, uh, what I hope to do, time permitting, is give you four reasons why, if you don't, four reasons why you need to become a biblical giver. As I said, many of you probably already do. But if statistics are correct, Christians struggle with this discipline more than any other discipline in their life. There's something about the idea of letting go of our money that is a very difficult concept for us. So I want to share four reasons with you for being a biblical giver. Biblical giving, as we'll walk through this, is defined as tithes and offerings. That's the biblical concept that God has laid out. Let's, let's get into some of these uh, some of these reasons today. The first reason is obedience. Because God has asked me to. Why am I a biblical giver? Obedience. Because God has asked me to. Let me, let me, let me show you a passage of scripture. This is, uh, this is one of, the, one of the, the pastor's favorite. Pastors love uh, this passage in Malachi. Uh, look at this verse, Malachi chapter 3. Um, descendants of Jacob... Malachi was a prophet that lived during the the days of Israel. He says, descendants of Jacob, I am the Lord, all-powerful, and I never change. That's why you haven't been wiped out. Wow. (laughs) Though you have ignored and disobeyed my laws ever since the time of your ancestors. But if you return to me, I will return to you. And yet you ask, how can we return? In other words, what we, how, why do we need to return? I didn't know we went anywhere. You people are robbing me. You're God. And here you are asking, how are we robbing you? 
you're robbing me of the offerings and of the 10% that belongs to me. That's why your whole nation is under a curse. I am the Lord all-powerful, and I challenge you to put me to the test. Bring the entire 10% into the storehouse so there will be food in my house, and then I will open the windows of heaven and flood you with blessing after blessing. I will also stop locusts from destroying your crops and keeping your vineyards from producing. Every one of every nation will talk about how I have blessed you and about your wonderful land. I, the Lord, all-powerful, third time he said that now, have spoken. God had laid out to the nation of Israel that laid out in the Old Testament uh, the, his expectations of them giving back to him a percentage of what, what he had blessed them with. He was very clear in that. There's a number of passages of Scripture that deal with, with this idea of the tithe. The word means tenth, ten, this 10% idea. God had spelled that out very clearly, and he had reasons for what he wanted to do with that, some of which we will cover here in a few moments. But, but he, he, was, he was very clear on what his expectation was for their life. During the time of the prophet Malachi, the nation of Israel stopped the practice of biblical giving. They stopped tithing. Now, maybe they thought God didn't need it. He doesn't, by the way. That's never been the point. Maybe they thought they needed it more. Maybe they just didn't want to do it. But whatever the reasons were, they had stopped doing what God had asked them to do. They had become disobedient. And here's the kicker. They're still going down to the church house, to use that term, as if nothing in the world is wrong. They're still going in there. They're still lifting their hands and worshiping God. They're still praising Him. They're still praying to Him. They're still, you know, declaring that Jehovah is my God. They're just going like everything is okay. And God, through the prophet Malachi, says... What are you doing? What are you, you're acting like nothing is wrong between us. You're acting like, uh, like everything's, you know, copacetic. And yet you're, you're being disobedient to me. And God was not pleased. And yet, God being the loving and gracious God that he always is, says to them, but if, if you'll come back, if you'll come back under obedience to me, if you'll begin to do this thing that I have asked you to do, I'll bless you. And some of you have heard me say this before, too. This is the only place in the Bible, as far as I know, it's the only place in the Bible where, where God basically triple dog dares people to try him in this area of obedience in biblical giving. And God says, man, if you come on back to me, watch what I'll do. If you'll come under obedience in this area, watch what I'll do. Come on, try me on this. Now, let, let's deal real quickly with this, uh, this whole Old Testament, New Testament thing. Because, because I've heard that before. Tithing is Old Testament. Tithing is Old Testament. Tithing was given very clearly in the Old Testament. But, but I've heard people say, tithing is Old Testament. As if, now here's, here's, the, here's what's implied, as if anything in the Old Testament is no longer valid. Listen. I know y'all know this, but it's my line, so let me say it. The Old Testament is not a rough draft while God was trying to write the New Testament. Okay? It's God's Word. And it's, it's, it's not like last month's newest cell phone that's going to be outdated next month. It's God's Word. 
Now, it's true that some of what is known as Levitical law in the Old Testament is no longer to be practiced by the followers of God, partly because some of it was specifically intended for the nation of Israel, partly because much of it was was types and foreshadowing of the coming of Christ, and, and it was fulfilled in his birth and in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. So it's true that some Levitical laws and things are no longer practiced, but that doesn't mean that the entire Old Testament is no longer valid. Is there anybody in here that would argue that the, old, that the Ten Commandments are no longer a good idea because they're in the Old Testament? Thou shalt not murder. Pfft. Old Testament. Right? No. No. It doesn't mean the Old Testament. So just the fact that it's in the Old Testament doesn't automatically mean that it's, that it's no longer valid. Uh, here's something else uh, that I want to say to you. I think it's New Testament. I, I really think, and, and not everybody agrees with me on this, okay? But I think tithing is New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul's closing out his letter to the church in Corinth. And here's what he says. Now, I will write about the collection of money for God's people. He's winding everything up and he's, you know, just like us preacher, he saves money for last. Now, I'll write about the collection of money for God's people. Do the same thing I told the Galatian churches. So it's not exclusive just to the, to the church in Corinth. He's, he's set, written this to other churches. Do the same thing I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should put aside money as you have been blessed. Save it up so that you will not have to collect money after I come. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Uh, he's writing clearly about some discussion apparently that they had had or were, were interested in. And he begins to write about this idea of collecting money, taking up an offering, giving back to God. A few things that I want to call to your attention about that 1 Corinthians 16 text. First, it's not a suggestion. Let each one of you is tetheto in the original language. It is a... Uh, Uh, Present active imperative verb, meaning it is a command. It's not a suggestion. Paul says, here's what you need to do. It's not a suggestion, but it it is for everybody. Do you notice what he said? Each of you. Each of you. See, it's it's not just for adults. It's it's not just for the people that that are more well off financially. It's not just for the more spiritual people. He said, each one of you, and it's systematic. He says, on the first day of the week, anybody want to tell me what the first day of the week is? Sunday. Paul knew, now the church gathered often in the first century especially, but he always knew that they were going to gather on Sunday. It was the, they celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He knew the church was going to gather together. They were going to study God's word. They were going to praise him. They were going to say all those kinds of things that they were going to do. So he says, on the first day of the week, as you gather together, there's, Paul's putting a system into place. Make sure that you do this. Set this amount of money aside. It's systematic in this. Now, uh, nowadays, certainly, you know, people in those days didn't draw a paycheck per se, but they might receive income or livestock or, or whatever it might be. But what's clear is that there ought to be this routine, this system put in place. Paul says on the first day of the week, each one of you should. It's, there's, a, there, it's, there's some consistency to this. There's a plan to it. It's systematic. And 
it's proportionate. Paul says each of you should set aside an amount, basically in proportion to how you have been blessed. Isn't that what he says? Is that what we just read? Set aside an amount as you have been blessed. All right, now I'm fixing to hit you hard. How many of you would argue that God's blessings in your life are worth less than 10% of what you make? Hmm. No, you know what most of us would say? Oh, no, God has blessed me far beyond what I can even say. Really? <laughs> right? 10%? 10% not bad when you think of it in those terms, is it? Paul says, give as you've been blessed. Well, I've, I've, I've only been blessed $20 worth. <laughs> Another thing about it being proportionate uh, is, is this great thing about it being proportionate to as you've been blessed is that it, it keeps the equality. I believe it keeps the equality in the giving. In other words, by, setting, by, by God setting the standard way back in the Old Testament and continuing on, this idea that, that it's, it's in proportion, what he's doing is keeping the giving amount balanced. In other words, if one person makes $10,000 a year and one person makes $100,000 a year, and they both are obedient to biblical giving, in the eyes of God, they've given the exact same amount. Because it's never been about a dollar amount. It's been about obedience. That's what it's always been about. So it's not, you know, he gave $50 and she gave $500. Who cares? It's about he was obedient and she was obedient. See, you understand what God's doing here? He's always trying to take us farther in this thing. He's always trying to get us to come a little bit more under his leadership and, and, and his, his will for our life. And obedience is a big part of his plan for our life. I do want to say something very quick. I know I've got to move on. Um, but, I, but I wanted to say this earlier and I forgot that the, the Malachi text where God talks about, uh, test me on this, see if I'll not throw open for you windows of heaven, pour out for you a blessing. Uh, listen, I, I, just, I just want to give a little, a little caveat there uh, because that verse has sometimes been misused to teach people that, well, you know, if you just, if you just give, if you just tithe, if you're just a biblical giver, then, then you're going to have everything you want and you're never going to be sick and you're gonna, everything's going to be, you know, come up roses and it's just always going to be wonderful. Listen, number one, um, Christians do not live our lives wrapped inside some type of Jesus bubble where nothing bad ever happens to us. It doesn't work that way, okay? Make sure you under, understand that. Number two, uh, just because you've, become, you've come under obedience in this area of your life doesn't mean that there might be another area of obedience that God may need to work on you and may have to allow some things because he's trying to get you to where he wants to be. In other words, you can't uh, tithing doesn't trump everything else in our life. You understand what I'm saying? You can't be skimming money off the top at your, at your uh, place of employment, but as long as you're tithing on that money, God's okay with it. No, no. It, okay? Doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. So it's an obedient, uh, obedience because God has asked me to. That's why I do it. Hey, can I say this too? I know I'm standing up here as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, saying, you know, you ought to, to tithe. You ought to be a biblical giver. Well, yeah, he's pretty. I want you to understand something. Cindy and I learned this lesson when we were 20-something-year-olds struggling to make it with, with, with too many bills and, and too little paycheck and, and everything else. So I, I'm, and long before we ever thought we'd be in vocational ministry that we learn this principle. All right, let me real quickly uh, run through uh, some others. 
Second reason, faith. Because God can be trusted. He really can. And we say that all the time, don't we? Well, I'm just, I'm just trusting the Lord. Really? Can I see your checkbook? <laughs> it, it, we need to be biblical givers because of because faith. Because God can be trusted. He really can. Um, look at this passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 4. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek a gift itself, Paul's saying. But I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. Watch this. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God because of what they had done. Watch this. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying to the church in Philippi, listen, you don't have to worry about it. God will provide everything that you need. If you will just walk in obedience and believe by faith that God is there for you, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. God will meet your needs. Oh, I just, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can afford to do this. And Paul's saying, if you're doing what God has asked you to do, relax. It's in God's hands, and you can walk by faith and not by sight, which is really what it comes down to. Am I going to believe what God has said, or am I going to believe my circumstances, which says that I run out of checkbook way before I run out of bills? And, and there's responsibility in that and being good stewards and of, of all of this, but it, it really is faith that is part of this. It's part of why God's trying to get us to do this. Third reason. Uh, thanksgiving, because God deserves our gratitude. I don't know if you ever thought of it this way, but, but when, when we come under obedience and, and we're biblical givers, we give back to God what he's asked us to give, it is, in essence, a thank offering. It's a way of saying, God, thank you. I believe that everything I have comes from you. By the way, everybody says that. Have you ever noticed that? Or everybody that at least claims to be a Christian. Everybody says, well, everything I have comes from God. Really? You really believe that? Well, here's your chance to express your gratitude to God for what he's done. It's, it's an opportunity to thank God for what he's done. Listen, an interesting passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 14. Let me read it to you. And praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham... Some of his, his family members and some of his stuff had been stolen by these bad guys while Abram and his men uh, weren't there. And Abram and his men went after the bad guys and God delivered them into their hands and they were able to get back their family members. They were able to get back all of their possessions. And afterwards, Abram has this encounter with Melchizedek, a guy named Melchizedek, who Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis uh, refers to him as uh, priest of God most high. And Abram, apparently, purely out of gratitude for what God had done for him, gives to Melchizedek a tenth of everything that he had. Just, just the opportunity to say, God, thanks. Thanks for every, every bit of it. And so I, I want to express that gratitude by giving you back a, a part that you've given to me. It, it really... Um, 
is, is thanksgiving. And then uh, one more, kind of flying through these uh, real quick. Kingdom. That's the fourth reason. Kingdom. Because God has allowed us to have a part. I, I admit it. I fully admit it at the beginning of this that I, I do want to see more resources coming into the church. So that the kingdom of God can expand. So that more people can come under the influence of the message of Christ. Family Fun Day and all the dollars that we will invest into that, which is fairly significant, has as its end goal to have the opportunity to present to this community the message of Christ. That's the end goal. It's not just to let kids bounce around in a house or give them some popcorn or a hot dog or anything else like that. All of them are tools designed to to be used by God to bring these people to the eventual place where they could hear the message of Christ. Missionaries that serve all over the world are funded by the resources that you and I give back to God's church. Makes it possible for the message of Christ right now in, 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 on the tip of Africa and on the, on the, in the middle of China or, or wherever it might be, there are missionaries serving who are able to be there because of resources that you give back to the kingdom. Whether it's a, a biblically-based children's ministry, whether it's providing food for people who are less fortunate than us, or whatever else it might be, it's, it's resources used for ministry purposes. And God has allowed us the opportunity to participate with him in the, in the building of his kingdom. Now, I'll just be honest with you. There are times when I seriously wonder why God would do it this way. God, why would you leave it up to us to provide the resources? Because, can I say this? I'm out of time. I've got to close here, but I'm just going to say this. I've heard this. Well, if God wants it done, it'll get done. You don't get off that easy. We don't get off that easy. In the sovereignty of God and in His wisdom, He has chosen for the church to be the mechanism through which the church and His kingdom is built, expanded. So, yeah, I I do this for the kingdom. That's why I'm a biblical giver. Because God has allowed us the privilege of having a part in it. Now, Let me give you a couple of things to think about real quickly before we go this morning. The first one is this. Biblical giving becomes easy when you understand who it all belongs to. When you begin to get your mind around the idea that, hey, it's all God's anyway. And we already all admit that all the time. We say, oh, it's all God's. No, I mean, when we really get a hold of that idea that not it's all God's. No, the money that's in my checking account right now. Is God's. The money that's in my savings account right now is God. The, the furniture in my house is, is God. The vehicle that I drive is God's. Biblical giving really does become easy when you understand who it all belongs to. It belongs to Him. I'm just a steward of it. And here's the second thing to think about. Biblical giving becomes easy when you understand who you belong to. You understand whose you are? If you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, you're a child of the King. Is there some reason to doubt that your heavenly father would not provide you with everything that you needed if you're walking in obedience to him? Psalm 37, I think it's verse 25, says this. I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. It's just, it's just a principle of God, ladies and gentlemen. When you understand that you belong to him, you've given your life to Christ and received his pardon and his eternal life in exchange and you, and you come under obedience to the Lord in this or any area of your life, do you, you understand? Uh, the pressure's off. God's the one that's going to provide. 
So, it's an obedience issue that this discipline ought to be built in. It's a faith issue to believe God more than what my circumstances tell me or what the economy is doing or anything else. If I make something, if God provides anything for me, then I ought to be able to give back part of that. It's a faith issue. It's a thank offering. God, it all comes from you. Can I just say thank you to you? And, and it's easy to say. Work, talk is cheap, but I, I don't want to demonstrate it in a tangible way. And it's an opportunity to be involved in the work of the kingdom. The stuff that you and I have will come and go, but the work of the kingdom will last for all of eternity. You tell me which is a better investment. I like what Pastor Clay said in today's message. It's the things that we hold on to the tightest that usually have the tightest hold on us. Statistics show that Christians struggle with biblical giving, possibly more than any other area of their lives. The national average is reportedly somewhere between 4 and 6% of those who claim to follow Christ that actually practice tithing. Today, Pastor Clay has given us four reasons to practice biblical giving. Obedience, faith, thanksgiving, and kingdom participation. It seems clear that biblical giving is an expectation that God has for our lives. And it's just as clear that if we'll obey God in this area of our lives, we'll find God right there with us, providing us with everything we need to continue to honor Him with our lives. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Now this week's Cross Culture Q&A. Q&A time at Cross Culture Church, and uh, here's the question that we have uh, today, and it's a good one. What does the Bible say about exclusivity? Do I have to believe in Jesus exclusively, or is it okay to believe there are other ways to God? Now, this is always, uh, obviously, an important question, but it's particularly um, relevant right now because there's a lot of discussion in the world, you know, about you know, uh, there's got to be multiple ways and all this stuff. And a very prominent uh, pastor by the name of Rob Bell recently came out in a, in a book declaring that, you know, uh, there's not really a hell. God's not going to send anybody to hell. And the implication of that is that in the end, everybody gets uh, to heaven and, and that sort of thing. And, and uh, so it's an important question. Well, um, why don't we just let God's word address it? Because I think one of the 
one of the issues oftentimes uh, that uh, Christians are faced with is this idea that somehow we have come up with this idea, followers of Jesus come up with this idea that we're the only way and we sometimes get, get accused of that. How can Christians, have you all ever heard, how can Christians say that they're, the, that they're right, that they're the only ones that are right? Um, let's, just, let's just go to God's word. John chapter 3, uh, a verse that maybe many of you in here uh, know. Verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in who in him shall not perish but have eternal life we we all know that one oftentimes we don't read on verse 17 and 18 for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world in other words the first time he came it wasn't as uh, as judge but it was as savior but to save the world through him verse 18 whoever believes in him is not condemned But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's what? One and only Son. Uh, If that's not clear enough, uh, John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way. Notice the definite articles in front of each one of these. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If that's not enough, Acts chapter 4, I think verse 11 and 12, Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, uh, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in who? No one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There simply is no other name. Here's another one, uh, Philippians. Uh, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, Again, uh, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2. No one who denies the Son... Has the Father. No one who denies the Son or denies that Jesus is Lord has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. One more, 1 John chapter 5. And this is the testimony. God has given us, he's writing to believers, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. God said it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not, it's not our... By the way, exclusivity is not a claim that only Christians make. Uh, Islam claims to be the, the only right or true religion. Um, Judaism claims to be... So exclusivity is not something that only Christians claim. Uh, all, I, I've always said this. You know, you look at the evidence um, and, and then you, you pick which one you want. That's all right. I don't, you know, you pick the one you want. I'm, I'm going with the guy that rose from the dead. I've said that for years. I'll keep saying I'm going with the guy that rose from the dead. Um, he proved it. Um, it's his claim. Uh, it's his way. It's, it's his grace that's being offered. Yeah, it's the only way. That's Q&A for today.